Welcome to the Cross Point Sermon Podcast. Cross Point is a college ministry of Grace Bible Church and meets Sunday nights at 6 p.m. Oh, man, I'm nervous about the school you're starting. Are y'all nervous too? A little bit? No? I am. Um, okay, so we're going to be in Ephesians tonight. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians 1, 15, and we're going to make uh, it all the way down to 2.10. So y'all can start turning there. Uh, What I want to talk about tonight is, I want to talk about the gospel, obviously, um, and I want to talk about how I feel like sometimes we reduce Christianity down too much. Uh, We reduce Christianity down too much. Uh, We've made, I think a lot, maybe your experience isn't at all like mine, uh, but but it may be, because we're all from the Bible Belt, or at least most of us are, Um, but that uh, Christianity, I feel like, in some cases, and in some people's lives, has been reduced down to, um, I said a prayer when I was a child, and so I got saved, and then I try not to do a long list of things, and I try to do a fairly long list of things, uh, and it grows in frustrations, and then either, either you stick with it, uh, because it's what you've done your whole life, or you, or you don't stick with it, and you branch off, or you break off, uh, and you just sort of follow into this life of basically doing whatever you want, uh, like this life of, uh, you can call it rebellion if you want to be churchy about it, that's what I'll do, I'm churchy, uh, so this life of rebellion, right, and so I want to read this text, and I want to read how that, how how Paul thinks about Christianity, how Paul thinks about the gospel. I feel like it's just a lot different than the way I grew up thinking about the gospel. The way I grew up thinking about the gospel is that, like I said this prayer, and I affirm, I I just intellectually agree with this idea that, yeah, Jesus died, that's really cool. Um, Yeah, I believe that, and let me say this prayer to make sure I I can get to heaven. Uh, and then I, you know, I don't cuss, uh, don't smoke, don't drink, don't have sex, don't give people the bird, which I found out is bad, even though it's fun to do. Uh, don't give people the bird. Um, and, you know, of course, read your Bible every day, pray every day, uh, help women across the street, old women, not young women, uh, <laughs> because Christians don't do that. Christians don't hit on girls. Just, we don't do that. So, um, you know what I'm saying? It sort of gets reduced down into this, be a good person, be a nice person. You're going to heaven, and that's all you really think about Christianity, is the doorway into heaven. You just sort of think of your Christianity as, well, I'll go to heaven one day, and I hope everyone else can go to heaven one day too, but it really doesn't affect anything else. It doesn't have anything to do with the day-to-day. Uh, so I, I'm going to read through, I'm going to read through everything we're going to look at tonight, and then we'll, we'll break it down. And uh, So like I said, we're going to be in Ephesians 1.15. Uh, if you don't own a Bible and you really, really want one, uh, or if you don't want one at all, I think you should have one anyway, uh, they're in the back on that table, and you can have it. It's, a, it's yours. Um, and if you own a Bible, you just didn't bring it, then there's some in, in, in the backs of the pews. You can sort of read along. It'll be good to read along, because I didn't, I didn't put anything on the board today. So if you want to see it, you're going to have to read it for yourself out of the Bible yourself, and it'll be right there in the back of the pew. So... I'm dragging on. Let me, let me, uh, let me get to this. Uh, before I read this, let me pray very quickly. Uh, Father, I thank you for your word. I believe it gives life. I believe uh, that heaven and earth will pass away, uh, but that your word will remain. Uh, and so, 
I affirm that and believe it. Um, and so, Father, I pray that uh, your word would give us life tonight, that we would approach it with the right amount of weight, uh, that we would not approach it uh, just wantonly and, and emptily, but we approach it as, as the word of God. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give it that weight and that power uh, in our hearts. Um, again, we invite you here so that we might understand the word that you've written. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'm going to start off and then we'll go through this. Ephesians 1.15 For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's a lot of stuff in there. Uh, I want to break it down as best I can. That's not my water. I don't want to drink it by accident. Um, okay, so uh, let's just start from the beginning. Let's go back to 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then what's his prayer? His prayer is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. So he's saying my prayer for you is that you would be enlightened. And then what does he want them enlightened of? Right? What does he want them enlightened of? And so he, he gives three things. Uh, the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Okay, so look at this. In the very beginning, he says, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. So what he's saying is, so I've heard that you have faith, and I've heard that you are doing acts of love, so I've, I've, heard that you're, I've heard that you have faith, and I've also heard that your faith is genuine because you are being selfless in your actions, and you're showing love towards the people around you. So I've heard that you have faith, and I've heard that it's genuine. And then he says, 
and I want you to be in. And, and what does he not say? He doesn't say, man, I heard your faith is genuine, and so I'm really praying that you, you, know, you stop lusting and that you read your Bible every day and that you stop cussing and you stop getting drunk all the time and you, you know, pray in the morning and over your meals, always pray over your meals. He doesn't say that. You see, there's something a bit deeper. There's something a bit broader. There's something a bit more beautiful than this list of do's and don't do's. You see what I mean? He's diving much, much deeper in than that. And not that any of those things are wrong or bad, but when we make that the focus of Christianity, we miss out on the beauty and the depth and the reality of Jesus Christ that actually motivates and empowers those things. Does that make sense? So those are really good things. Those are really good things. But if all you do is focus yourself on these things and you don't look at what's driving those things and you don't look at what Paul is hoping that they're enlightened to, which is the hope of their calling and the riches of their inheritance and power at work in them. See, it's something much more powerful at work in them than just this list of do's and don'ts. You feel what I'm saying? So, uh, so he just affirms that they're genuine and he says, I, I'm praying that you would realize the depths of the gospel. I've heard that you believe in the gospel, so I am praying that you realize in a deeper way all that you got with the gospel. Does that make sense? So that's what I want to look at tonight. I want us to sort of to uh, so step away from this idea that we walked in the door of Christianity with the gospel and a prayer, uh, and now we have this list of do's and don't do's. And I want us to look at, we, we walked into Christianity with the hope of the gospel. We are sustained in Christianity by the hope of the gospel. And it's what makes all of those do's and don't do's happen naturally out of a transformed life. A transformed heart that is falling deeper and deeper in love with Christ because we are learning that we are more loved by the Creator than we ever imagined we were. Than we ever imagined we were. And that motivates us toward love and good works and freedom. You feel me? So that's, I'm still introducing the text. Okay, so let's get to it. Uh, He does this because I think him, just like us, may lose focus of what's central in Christianity. And I think he wants them to be enlightened to what's central in Christianity. Uh, and so, like I said, maybe your experience was really similar to mine. This, I just want to walk you through sort of how, how uh, just sh- briefly, how my life went uh, whenever I didn't do that. Um, so I f- sort of fell into this moralistic time, and then I fell into this really rebellious time. Uh, so, it's, like, like I said, I, I prayed this prayer when I was like seven or eight, and I tried not to drink and cuss and smoke, and I tried to get good grades and read and pray and be good, have my parents like me, have the people in the church like me. Um, and I'd go to church camp, and then I'd realize I hadn't been good all year, and I need to be different, and I would cry, and I'd be like, y'all make sure I'm good this year. And then the whole year, I wasn't. I would do it for about two weeks, you know what I mean? And then you go to camp again, and you cry, and you're like, oh, my God. I just, you know what I mean? It, it, I, that's just the way it was. I don't know why. It's just the way it was. Um, and, and the thing that I think that was most true about it was um, the moralistic list of do's and don't do's, it was, it was impotent. It was powerless. Uh, it was powerless to give life. It was powerless to deal with my insecurities. It was powerless to deal with my hurts. It was powerless. Uh, and so church was sort of like, church was sort of like this hologram to me. It was like these people acting like they had life and telling me that you could have life and that life could be beautiful 
And then when I'd, when I'd go to grab it, it wasn't there. You know what I mean? Because I was, do, you know, I would. I would try to get up and read, and I'd like read, and I'd like fall asleep, and then I'd be like, golly, God's going to hate me. And then I'd read, and I'd, it just didn't, it, nothing was good. It was just like this, and I'd go to Ecclesiastes, and they're like, everything's meaningless, and I'm like, I feel you on that. Like, and, that, and that was all I got was Ecclesiastes made sense, but the rest of the Bible made no sense. Um, and, and so it was, it, was like, it was like a hologram. Like I had this little, when I was a kid, I had this little, this black, it looked like a UFO, it looked like a spaceship with a hole in the top. And it was two mirrors inside of this spaceship looking thing. And I thought, I, I was a nerd. I thought it was the coolest thing ever because you could put something in the middle inside of it and it would, and it would look like it was there on top. And I had this little plastic pig that I would put inside. And, that, and it would look like the pig was sitting on top. And you go to grab it, and it wasn't there. And I thought I could play tricks on everybody. And it's a UFO. I mean, it's obviously something. You know what I mean? And I would put it on the table and, like, walk away and put, like, three quarters in it. And I would walk away. And then I would sort of hide and watch and see people were like, ooh, three quarters, and grab it. No, nobody ever did it. But it's what church became like to me. You know what I mean? It was like, it was like this hologram box where people were talking about how great God was and how great everything was as long as you do these things and don't do these things. And I tried real hard to not do these things and to do these things and life was still empty and my insecurities were still really strong and my anxieties were still really strong. My doubts were still really heavy. And, and it, was just, it was just empty. I got tired of that. So like at 15, I just got really tired of that. Um, and I just started to do whatever I wanted, right? I, I mean, like, really whatever I wanted. Um, I, I mean, I started drinking as, as much as I could. Uh, I was a little, I was a, I, I didn't grow into a normal-sized man until I was, like, 18. So I was, like, in high school, like this little guy, right? <laughs> and so, uh, I, I mean, I was pretty insecure about that. I was fairly insecure about how people accepted me and that I, I wasn't, like, popular, you know? And so, I mean, that's when I started, that's when I started drinking. I started going to parties, and, and then, you know, I just started being a little crazier than everybody else, and that's how I found acceptance, and I, that's how I sort of dealt with some of my insecurities, is I was just a little crazier, you know? Uh, I tried to drink more than everybody else, and then I tried to smoke more weed than everybody else, and so I just got into it. I mean, me and like seven or eight of my friends just, we were like brothers, but I mean, that's what we did. We just were as crazy as we possibly could, and we did that for a long time, and and I mean, and I'm not going to lie to you. I had a fun time. I had a fun time. It was a good time. Like, it was, some nights were just, you know, really fun. Some nights were kind of boring. But I mean, I had fun. But, but smoking weed every single day and getting, like, drunk every single night and doing coke and playing beer pong until 4 a.m., it was powerless to deal with my insecurities also. It was powerless to deal with my doubts. It was powerless. It was just sort of numbing me for a while and sort of making that hole a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper. You know what I mean? And so like, I mean, I, it, just, it, was, it was just as powerless as this moralistic religion that I grew up in was. It was just as powerless. It was just as empty it had just as many of the same empty promises. I mean, I mean, I mean ju- those empty promises, just like I watch commercials now, and it's like, just the Bud Light commercials. Like, honestly, that one about the cooking, and they're like, 
what's the secret uh, ingredient going to be? Bud Light. And one guy's cooking the Bud Light, and the other guy's drinking the Bud Light, and they're like, it looks like he's having a great time. And it's like, there were these empty promises about all that that really made it seem like, yeah, there's going to be some fulfillment. I'm going to have a great time with all these people, and we're just going to be bros, and it's going to be sweet. And like I said, it was fun, but it was empty, and it was powerless. And so um, it just, it couldn't bring the satisfaction. It couldn't bring, it, it just couldn't heal those insecurities. It couldn't address the deepest part of me that needed to be addressed. And the deepest part of me was not okay. The deepest part of me was not like cheery and everything's cool. The deepest part of me was looking for answers uh, for some really deep questions. And the deepest part of me wanted to know that everything was going to be okay. And that I was valuable. And I was meaningful. That's what the deepest part of me wanted. So, um, and so, Paul, Paul is introducing this like, I I've seen you believe in the gospel, and I've seen that it's, it's genuine, and I want to make sure you understand how deep it is, so you don't get locked into this list of do's and don't do's, so you don't get locked into this very empty, shallow, moralistic, religious experience. You feel me? And so, the most important ver- verse here is verse 19. The gospel that Paul is reminding his, his brothers, Christian brothers, he's writing to believers. You're going to see that this is written to believers. Uh, the gospel that Paul is reminding his brothers in, in Ephesus, that's who this is written to, believers in Ephesus, that gospel has power. Verse 19, that gospel has power. It's not a powerless gospel. It's not a powerless gospel like the gospel of moralistic religion is, and it's it's not a powerless gospel like that powerless gospel of rebellion was. Verse 19, what is the immeasurable, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? And that's the question, who believe what? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power being God toward us who believe? What, to, to the believe what? That's the, question I'm, that's the question I'd like to know. And so the question uh, the, the answer to that question toward us who believe, what do they believe? What do the believers believe? Why do they call them believers? They don't just believe that one day they're going to go to heaven. They believe something much more deep than that and much more rich than that. Okay, so the believers believe that earth and creation, all of earth and all of creation is without hope. It is without hope because God is just. That earth and everything on the earth is without hope because God is just. God is just, and therefore, He must do away with all evil that exists in all of creation. If He doesn't do that, He's not just. If God doesn't deal with the Hitlers and the Khmer Rouge and all the evil that you see going on in the world, If he doesn't deal with that, if he doesn't do something about that, those things that you look at in the world and you cry out because they're wrong, and you say God doesn't exist because that exists, if he doesn't do something about that eventually, then he is not just. The sad part of the equation is is that evil lives inside of every single one of us, and it consumes every single one of us. It's not that some of us are good and some of us are bad and some of us are okay. It's not like the Enlightenment philosophers thought that we were sort of a blank slate uh, and that we sort of learn wickedness. 
Watch a child. Just watch a child. I've watched Josh Taylor's child. My word. No one taught, and that baby's like a year or two old. I, that, well, two? Okay, two? Wicked. Like, <laughs> wicked. For real. And we, nobody taught that. He's, he's like trying to teach her not to be wicked. And it, it's not working. So, <laughs> so, the thing is, is that because of the original rebellion of the first human being, we've inherited rebellion. And it all looks different in every single one of us. And some of us it looks like self-righteousness, and some of us it looks like pride, and some of us it looks like hate, and some of it looks like addiction, and some of us it looks like, I, I don't know what else. Maybe I'll listen to them all. But it looks different in all of us. Some of us are better at hiding it than others, and some of us just don't care to hide it. But it's all wickedness. And because God is just, he has to deal with that. He has to. If he doesn't deal with that, he's not good. He's not a good God if he doesn't deal with it. And so he is. That's the promise, is that he is. And that involves the destruction of all that is wicked. But, but, instead, instead, God takes his only son that he loves, sends him to earth, puts him on a cross, and during the high times of the Roman Empire pours his wrath on him instead of the world pours his wrath on his own son that he loves and so that all that's left for those who will just accept it not for those who will do all the right things and not do all the wrong things but for those who will just accept and believe what God did that's all it takes is to accept and believe what God did for those who will accept and believe what God did the only thing that's left is love and not wrath and that we are made sons and daughters not slaves right and then we're given love instead of wrath we're given life instead of death and we're given life now not in the end and so the promise is that we're created new the very moment we believe that's why you see that that's huge that's why he says what he says in 19 and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe and, the, and so what I always wanted to know growing up, because I heard the story, is like prove, prove, what, prove, prove that. You know what I mean? Cool story, bro, but, but proof. Like where's the proof of that power? Where's the proof of that power? If it's power, it should be fairly evident. If it's power, you know what I mean? It should be evident. Um, and so he, he sort of proves this in two ways to the Ephesian people. That's where verse 19 ends. Uh, so let's keep going. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? The first proof. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority. So the proof of the power, the proof that the power exists to begin with is the fact that Christ rose from the dead. Like, think about how, it's not, uh, it's not easy. Right? It's not easy to raise something from from death to life. That's, that's not easy. There's something powerful at work in a being who can say, no, just come back to life. Cool. Do you, know, you realize how final death is? Do you realize the finality of death? I think we, death is maybe the one thing that affects all of us that we think about the least. And that we try to hide ourselves from the most. 
Like we pay people to drive down the road and just pick up the dead things off the road so we don't have to look at it. You know what I mean? Like death is final. What if there was a being that wasn't like, that didn't just pick up the, the smushed cats off the road that was like, come back to life, kitty. You know what I mean? Like what if, what if there was a being that could do that? That being has, that being has power. That being has power. Power over life. The one thing that we can't explain, even in, the, in, in this deep you go into biology, you can't explain what life is. You can't explain what that spark is. What is that, that spark that is life? When something can have all the right parts in all the right places and they should work, but they just don't because it's not alive. What is that? There's a being that has power over that, and he says, the power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you. Is at work in the believer, right? That's a pretty big deal. The, the power that And so the, the thing is, is that's not the only thing that happened to Christ. The power was seen when Christ was raised from the dead, his resurrection. He was also placed in the highest place uh, of authority in all creation for all time. So read this. What does it say here? It says uh, in 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put all things under his feet, gave him his head over all things to the church. So Christ is not only resurrected to walk around the earth again and eat fish, um, he's, he's resurrected and then he's placed at the highest place in all creation. And so that rules and authorities and powers and dominions, this may sound weird to you, but that is the, the spiritual realm, the demonic and angelic realm. He has put high above that realm. He's not just put above that realm, but it says far above all rule and power and authority. And not only in this age, not only in the present system, but in the system that is to come, in the world that is to come, in the age that is to come. The Greek word is the ion, the, a, the eon that is to come, right? So Christ is not only resurrected, but he's put at the highest place in all creation, above all things, above, above the, the mortal realm, above the angelic and demonic realm, above everything. And then, what's the most beautiful thing? He's put his head. He's given to the church. Put his head over the church. And there's something really beautiful about that. It's not just like he's the boss guy of the church. When it says he's put his head over the church, that the same language that the Bible used, uh, that, that the man should be the head of the wife, the protector of the wife, the lover of the wife. Does that make sense? So that, so that Christ is put as authority over all things and then given to the church, to the believers, the worldwide body of believers to love them, to care for them, to lead them, and to constantly forgive them and intercede for them on behalf of the just God, right? So, uh, so that God showed his ability and desire to lavish mercy on those who are without, who, who are without hope and in rebellion. And basically the promise is, and that's what Ephesians 2 is about, uh, the promise is, is he will do for us exactly what he did for Christ, and he will do it through Christ. Does that make sense? So you're going to see exactly what just happened to Christ. And Ephesians 2 happens to the believer. It's really quite beautiful. So let's get there. Uh, and, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So, so we were dead. We weren't sick. And we weren't just a little bad. We weren't in a tight spot. We were dead. 
So again, this is written to believers, those who have believed. We were dead. We were like that cat on the road. We were dead. We weren't just sort of bad. Now that cat's not just, eh, it'll be okay, cat. Shake it off. No, like we're dead. That's, that's what he's saying to us. You were dead in the trespasses and sins that you once walked. And what, what made us dead? Because I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't remember feeling dead. What made us dead? We were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He's, he's giving you three powers there. And their powers, their authorities, this is the same authorities that it says right before this, far above all rule, authority, and power and dominion above every name that is named. So there's these rules and powers and authorities and dominions that are taking place in Ephesians 1 that Christ has put over, as head over, right? He's put his head over them. And then it says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins because we walked according to those powers. We walked according to those influences. And so it says we were dead in our trespasses because we walked according to the way that this world walked. That's power one. We walked according to the prince of the power of the air. Again, this may be weird for some of you, but that is Satan. That when man fell, we fell because Satan tempted and authority passed to him. And so th- this world is under his authority. You see what I mean? He's got influence in the way this works. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't. But that the prince of the power of the air has some influence in the way that this world is going. The direction that it is going. So that the way that this world is going, the prince of the power of the air, and then our own desires, our own flesh, our bodies, us. That, that little bit inside of you that, I don't know what it is for you guys. Like when you hear something bad happens to someone you don't like that little bit of like (laughs) sucks for you guy you know that little bit of lack of love that little bit of like i just hope they die they suck you know what i mean like that little bit of that little bit of hatred or that what it was before for me that little bit that just needed the like approval of every single person around me all the time and was willing to do anything to get it. Those little bitty gratifying things that I needed throughout the day. That life wasn't really good, so I just needed, you know, just shotgun a beer and smoke a sweet and, you know what I mean? Like that, those desires and those passions that just sort of, they're there and they're constantly pulling you. And the thing is, is that everyone's got them and we're all going the same direction according to the power of the, uh, according to the prince of the power of the air and according to the world. So we're under this influence of these things. And the problem is, is that we can't, we can't moralistically climb our way out. We can't say, here's a list of rules, now do them. No, it says you're under the authority of these, th- these three things. It's like in, in, in my Bible, it actually explains it uh, sort of weak. It says following the course of this world. Uh, it's actually... In the Greek, that actually says you're under the influence of it. Not that you're just sort of following it, but that it's over you and it controls. And that you have no ability to climb your way out. You have no ability to be good enough. You see what I mean? You're under its control. You're under its influence. Uh, And because we are under its influence, um, we're all equally dead. Equally dead. We are all equally under the just wrath of God. And we're all equally having life stolen from us every day. 
so the joy and beauty and life that our Father wants us to walk in is constantly being stolen because we are slaves to our flesh, we are slaves to the way that this world is going, and we are slaves to the prince of the power of the air. I think it's in Timothy, it actually says that we are in bondage, we are in captivity to do his will. That's sort of strong, right? Uh, And so we all once lived. Everyone is equally dead. Everyone equally deserving of wrath. But the beautiful part, right? Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. While we were in rebellion against him, while we are following along against him, not just doing wrong things he doesn't like, but adamantly opposed to his existence he's like no 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 no. i want you back i want you back i'll give whatever it takes i'll give my beloved son for you you see it's just beautiful it's just beautiful right um so so you're seeing there's your resurrection that christ got the resurrection also so we in the beginning of uh, of two one through five uh, we, that is our resurrection. But we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We're following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, and we were under the influence of our own desires in our flesh. And we were under wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Christ was resurrected. We were resurrected. Um, so what's beautiful about that is that uh, all of our conversions, for those of you who believe in this and who are like walking in this, this truth about Christ, that all of our conversions are equally miraculous. All of our conversions are equally miraculous. Uh, I, so I've been to jail six times for several things. Okay? And the fact that I'm a believer is just as impossible as, as you guys who were saved when you were six years old. It's just as impossible. So a lot of times I hear people minimizing their story because they weren't incredibly stupid like me. And they didn't get in a ton of dumb trouble like me. And they're like, oh, I don't have a good story. No, you were actually dead. And so when you minimize the fact that you were dead in your sins and that Christ, just as Christ was raised from the dead, you were raised from the dead, when you minimize that, you're actually minimizing the richness of His mercy. It is just as impossible for me to have become a believer as it is for anyone else. We are all equally dead. We're all equally on the same playing field. You feel what I'm saying? Like we're all, we were all in the same place. So, like, this is just an aside. Don't, don't minimize the fact that you were dead. I think when you, when you minimize your story, oh, I was a believer at six, and no, you were just as dead. You were just as far from God and unable to reach out to him and unable to climb your way to him and it was just as impossible that he enlightened you to the beauty of the gospel and you started walking in freedom and hope and in life as anyone else so uh, six and seven this is my favorite part this is by far my favorite part so uh, uh, so by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so, so you saw how Christ in, in, in the end of, uh, of chapter 1 was, was seated above all rule and power and authority. And so it says also that we were resurrected with him and we were seated with him above all rule and power and authority. Uh, so belief in Christ so associates me with him that just as he was crucified, so was I. Just as, uh, just as he was resurrected, so was I. And just as he sits in a place of authority over all things, so I, in his name, 
exercise the same thing. This is what's so beautiful. This is the beautiful part. This is the power to a new and transformed life. This is the power that he's talking about. This is like where the real power comes in, right? When I told you before that both lives that I tried to leave were equally impotent, they were equally powerless, it's because the things that I did defined me, the insecurities that I had defined me, and they kept me in bondage to the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air and my own flesh. And so I'm constantly trying to satisfy my own flesh. And I'm constantly trying to be like everybody else, right? And so the beautiful part about the gospel is that I'm so associated with Christ that, I, that the old Terrell was dead. The old Terrell died, what is it, five years ago now. The old Terrell is dead. I'm a completely new person. Okay, so I'm not defined by my past anymore. So when I get these little whisperings of, like, you're just a drunk. You're just like an immature, dumb drunk. It's like, no, no, that Terrell died. That Terrell died, and I was resurrected, and I'm not that person anymore. Like, there is power in that. I am not defined by my past. And, and so when these whispers come that are like, like, you're just not that valuable. You're just, you're just not that important. You're, you're not that valuable. Because I'm so associated with Christ, it's like, no, actually in Jesus' name, I am a son of the king, and God has said that I am so valuable that he is willing to put his own son on the line. I am so loved that he will put his son on the line for me. I'm not valuable in my own right, but I'm valuable in Jesus' name. Does that, does that make sense? So there's power in this. There's power to deal with my insecurities, that I'm not in bondage to these insecurities that drove just sort of this rebellious time in my life. That I, like I so needed acceptance from people. I so needed that. I so needed to be accepted by people, that I was willing to do whatever, just whatever, so that people were like, oh, you're real crazy, Terrell. Yeah, that's awesome, man. You know what I mean? I was so driven by that. Because I've been so associated with Christ, because I'm so associated with Christ, the Father says, I love you. You're my son. I've accepted you, and you don't have to strive for it. You don't have to do things for it. I love you, and you're my son. You, have, you don't need to do anything for it. And so as we begin walking in the power that that's given, if we begin walking in that, and I'm not in bondage to all of this wickedness that I once was. I'm not defined by my present failures and imperfections. And so that I, I sort of put too much weight on myself when I don't wake up on time or I don't get to read my Bible in the morning and I start to put this weight on myself that God doesn't really like you anymore because you're not praying and reading your Bible enough. It's like, no, I'm accepted in Jesus' name. I'm accepted because Jesus was accepted. I'm accepted because God loves me because of what Jesus did, not because of what I've done. Does that make sense? And so everybody can begin to walk in that because there's actually power in that and there's not power in anything else. I'm not ashamed of the power of the gospel. You've heard Paul say that before. So, um, and, and the thing is, is that is extended to everyone who believes. Uh, and raise us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then maybe the most famous part of this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For, he is work, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this, this, uh, this life 
Uh, it wasn't begun by me. It was something God initiated in me. It's something that God initiates in you. It's not sustained by me. My place uh, in Christ is not sustained by my ability to continue to be a good person. It's not sustained by my ability to be a better person. It's not sustained by any of that. It's not sustained by my failures or my successes. It's sustained by Christ. So that I, ha- I have power to rest and that this, this thing isn't sustained by me. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works. And so, like, in your Christian life, as you're, as you, you're sitting there trying to strive your way to more acceptance from God, and you're, and you're broken over every time that you fail, and, and, and you constantly feel like you're letting God down. And so, there, there's just a question that I ask sometimes, like, how do you picture God's face towards you? Like, what is, what is God's face like? Toward, when, when God thinks about you, what is his face like? And, and, I mean, usually mine's like this. Like, I usually think God's like, what are you doing? You know? Like, it's normally the where. I, because I'm not, as, I'm not as good as I'd like to be. I'm prideful half the time. I'm angry half the time. Sometimes my wife asks me too many questions. I'm like, you got to stop asking me questions. I can't think right now, and I'm just a jerk, you know? And so, in the end, all that doesn't matter because Christ has accepted me. Christ has loved me. Christ is rich in mercy towards me. My wife's the same way. So we come on that level. We come together on that level. I forgive you. Christ forgave me. I forgive her. Christ forgave me. You feel me? And so this thing isn't sustained by my ability to be perfect. And I'm allowed to fail, and my Father knows that. My Father knows I'm allowed to fail. Your Father knows that you are going to fail, and He loves you regardless in Christ. Does that make sense? So that this Christian life is sustained by the power of the gospel. This Christian life is this constant remembrance, repentance, and rebelieving that that God is good and that God loves me and that God is going to sustain me until the hope of the resurrection in Christ. It's not about me hating the right things and liking the right things. You know what I mean? It's not about all that. So it's not completed by me, right? So uh, last thing, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so I think a lot of times we get caught up in this. We get caught up in this need to just be better. We get caught up in this need to be perfect. We get caught up in this need. We need, we need to feed all the hungry. We need to preach the gospel every time we go on campus. We need, we need to do all these things. And so we get caught up in this striving and striving and striving and striving. And the fact of the matter is, is that God has said that his Holy Spirit is going to work in you to so transform you and that you would walk in the works that in which he wants you to walk. And so that your good deeds, your uh, feeding the poor, your preaching the gospel, they are also driven by God's affection for you in Christ. God's forgiveness of you in Christ. And as you are constantly transformed, you are constantly able to love better. You are constantly able to give more. You are constantly able to find your value in Christ and not in your possessions or your ability to be funny or your ability to, to have the right looking body and get the right people attracted to you. Does that make sense? So we walk by grace, we live by grace, we breathe in grace, we breathe out grace. It's all about grace. That's all we extend to people, that's all we take from people. It's just grace and grace and grace. And that's what the gospel is. It's not this doorway in, it's what sustains everything. And that our Father loves us, and your Father loves you, and He will do anything to draw you into that. And it's all predicated on belief. Every day, belief. Every day, belief. Thank you for listening. Feel free to make a copy of this message and share it with others, but please do not charge them for that copy or change the content. For more information about Grace Bible Church, please visit us at gracebiblechurch.com.